Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Joe of Word of Prayer Cultural Center in Largo, Maryland. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast. It is my prayer that you are both blessed and enriched by what you hear. Feel free to share with friends and family, and also feel free to follow us on our social media outlets, Facebook and Instagram. Our social media handle is at Wopsy, W-O-P-C-C. Visit us online at wopsy.church. God bless and happy listening. All right, so the first Sunday of the quarter, um, on Easter Sunday, was anybody here that Sunday? I preached a sermon called the what? Trajectory of, of a tree, of a tree. Everybody knows what a tree is, right? It paralleled the tree used in the Garden of Eden with the tree used on Calvary's cross. And it highlighted how by one man sin entered the world, but moreover how by one man righteousness entered the world. And so this leads us to last week's introduction of a series entitled Lessons from a Tree. Last week was Lessons from a Tree Part 1, Jesus is for everybody. As far as trees and their biblical significance, we learn that God loves trees, Cousin Bianca. We learn that trees are the most mentioned thing in the Bible other than people, Sister Sonia. We learn that trees are used in the Bible to paint pictures, symbolize principles, magnify messages, and that there are many, many biblical stories centered around or inclusive of trees. In fact, we can endeavor to say that trees, Elder, are present in every landmark event in biblical history. And so today, I literally don't plan to be before you long. We have a baptism to get going down the hall. Amen. Amen. Um, but we're going to journey this morning. Are y'all all right with journeying with me this morning? Amen. Let's see where God takes us. So last week we were in Luke 19, correct? Dr. Luke 19. And this morning we're in Kings 19. And that's 1 Kings. 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. And we're going to do quite a bit of reading today. And we're going to do it in the New King James Version, but we're not going to read yet, so hold tight. Before we get into it, let me tell you a little bit about kings. Would you like to know about kings? Okay. One and two, first and, 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 and second kings were originally just one book. And that book is telling a story of continuation from Samuel, which precedes it. So we know about the tribes of Israel, right? But David, we know about him too, he's come along and he's made all of the tribes into one kingdom. Somebody say kingdom. Okay. The book of or the books of kings is literally telling the story of the Israelite kingdom as led by kings who came after King David. And spoiler alert. These kings led the kingdom straight on down to the ground. If, you, if you're a Bible reader, you already know how that went. 
And so they definitely set it up right for the realization of the need of a true king, the king of kings, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was to be born of King David's lineage, because they made it clear that these kings, they weren't it. <laughs> king starts out by telling us of how David was getting old and he passed the mantle or the crown onto his son. Anybody know his son's name? Solomon. All right. Solomon was used to do some good things. He, he, he built the temple and he did some great things, but he also ended up doing some terrible things as king over Israel. And that was a popular narrative in that day. And so he ended up turning it over to his son, Rehoboam, and the kingdom uh, then marred by greed, lust, and power, and slavery, and the increase unfairly and unjustly of taxes, and all this stuff caused a split in the kingdom. Y'all know about a split? Amen. Some of y'all know about a church split. Yeah, you know, but we ain't talking about a church, a kingdom split. And so there was Israel versus Judah, okay? And Judah was located in uh, the south, um, a.k.a. Jerusalem. Yeah, the south side. Yeah, yeah. And, and each one, Israel and Judah, ended up having about 20 successive kings. The failure of these kings made room for the rise of what is known as the prophets who were to speak on behalf of God and encourage toward the things of God to kind of help them get back on track. And so you have now the kings and now you have the prophets and the most prominent of the prophets is the northern prophet from the north side by name of Elijah for whom we are entering an intersection of his story here in 1 Kings 19. And so we're about to read it, but you'll see that the scripture starts out talking about a gentleman by the name of Ahab. Uh-huh, somebody say Ahab. Ahab, who is a northern king himself, and his wife, her name is Jezebel. Y'all heard about Oh, Jezebel. Uh-huh. Yeah, see, when I said Ahab, some of y'all was like, hey, who? But when I said Jezebel, y'all knew exactly who that was. So she must have been something. And so this not-so-dynamic duo, they instituted the worship of the Canaanite god, the little g, Baal, over the god of Israel. Don't serve his god. Serve the god that we've given you, is what they told their people. Meanwhile, Elijah is fighting for people to serve and get back to the God of Israel. And so you can read of a series of challenges and fights and the beef, if you will, that they had one with another, Elijah versus them being Ahab and Jezebel. In 1 Kings 17, it introduces Elijah at the onset of a drought in the land. And in verse 18, it tells of a particular victory in Mount Carmel and ending the drought in the land. And so Mount Carmel, not to be confused with Mount Caramel. I know some of us say Caramel and some of us say Carmel. But if you ask me, Mount Carmel proves that Carmel is Carmel. 
and caramel is caramel because the second A is not silent. Amen. I'm not, if you say caramel, go ahead, bless you. I'm just saying from a phonetic point of view, I would like my vanilla ice cream with caramel. Amen. Amen. Y'all know, y'all know I'm an English teacher on the side. Amen. Amen. But at Mount Carmel, Elijah proved, uh-huh, brother, brother DJ, Elijah proved our God uh, to be God over that of Baal. And furthermore, he had their 450, how many y'all? 450 prophets killed. Now notice I put prophets in air quotes. Those were their prophets. 450 of them he had them killed. And so this news got to old Ahab and Jezebel. And they are hot. I mean, they are livid. I mean, they're mad, mad. And in comes 1 Kings 19. All right? Did I set it up for you? So let's read. 1 Kings 19. In the New King James Version, it says this. It says, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. See, Elijah, you know, he had some gangster to him. Amen. He lived among the caves. He wasn't scared of nobody. And so verse 2 says, Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So now she's saying basically because you killed our 450 prophets, we about to kill you. And she's letting him know, she's giving him a time to that thing that in, ooh, about 24 hours, you're as good as gone. And so Elijah, you know, he wasn't no punk, but, you know, he, he also didn't want to die. And so verse 3, and when he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Verse 4 says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under where did he sit? Under a tree. A broom tree. Refuge. Rest. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a what? A broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. See, I don't know the name of this angel, but this is my favorite angel. Arise and what? That's my kind of angel. That's the one. That's the one. Verse 6 says, that's your favorite scripture now? Amen. <laughs> the Bible says, arise and eat. <laughs> Verse 6 says, then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. 
Verse 7 says, And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. Has anybody ever felt that the journey was too great for them? Verse 8 says, So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Oreb, the mountain of God. The title for today's message is Lessons from a Tree, Part 2, Rest is for Everybody. Rest is for everybody. Somebody say rest is for everybody. Here we see a story of a man who is doing the work of the ministry and has found himself depressed. Can I call it what it is? A man who is doing the work of the ministry, he's doing a good work. He's serving God. I can imagine he's serving his family. He's doing good, but he's found himself depressed, in a state of depression. He believes uh, that doing a God thing is causing him his life. <laughs> he believes he's about to die, and he would rather die on his own accord and on his own terms than at the hands of his enemies. Ooh, Jesus. Wow. He would rather die on his own terms than at the hands of his enemies. Um, to get into the mind of someone who may be struggling with suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideations, a lot of times, you know, we, we come up with conclusions of why they want to take themselves out. And it just made me think of that where if you feel like something else is about to take you out, what if some people are trying to take themselves out to do it on their terms because they think they're going out anyway? Ooh, Jesus. I mean, it's just something that I thought about. And so uh, he, he decided that if I'm going to die, I want to die on my own terms. And so I want to say this to you on this first day of the month where we acknowledge and enlighten concerning mental health, that depression is not new. Depression didn't come when millennials came. Depression is not a 21st century matter. Depression is a human matter. Depression is even a Christian matter. Depression is even a leadership matter. And as we see here, even a biblical matter. Whenever in the Bible you see the spirit of heaviness, that's depression. Praise is a weapon against depression because the scripture tells us that he's given us what a garment of praise for the spirit of heaven this is one of the reasons that you all better get up in here because i went to a conference last last month the one that uh me and bishop and youth pastor went to and there was a therapist there a christian therapist uh, and she works with td jakes and she began to break down the mechanics of worship 
and how they literally coincide with things that are taught to her being a therapist. And so some techniques that she uses out of her secular book are mimicking things that we do in worship. We'll probably break it down a little later, Vicki. But right now, I'll leave that there. And so you don't even realize, that's why, that's one of the reasons you feel so good when you leave here. Because God has instituted in the worship experience things that fight depression. And all of the doctors who do their research and all of the therapists and the counselors, all they're doing is really unveiling things that God has made available to us. And so her being at that intersection of Christianity and secular therapy, she's able to see where a lot of what she learned has come from. And she's able to see how you can go to church and experience therapy. And so, depression is not new. There, there, there's, there's a weapon against depression. Praise is a weapon. And so, what I've come to realize and the conclusion that I've drawn is that, in part, some of us are depressed because we don't live a lifestyle of praise. Say that again. Some of us are depressed because we don't live a lifestyle of praise. The therapists begin to show that if during the worship experience you are not engaged, then you will not garner the therapeutic results. And not just in the worship experience, but I'm talking about when you leave church. A lifestyle, that's why I use the word lifestyle of praise. When you wake up in the morning, you should start your day with a praise. Huh? Not a scroll, maybe a scripture but with a praise. A lifestyle of praise will put you in the habit of setting your mind on the good in a bad situation. I wish I had a witness here today. Maybe it's just me who had to, to put my mind on something. A lifestyle of praise will put you in the habit of selecting to see something positive when the negatives are strong and very apparent all around you. Oh, okay, I, I got a witness or two now. A lifestyle of praise will put you in the habit of putting your mind on something, even if it's just one thing that you can be grateful for while in the situation you're in and pulling yourself up out of the cesspool of circumstantial darkness in order to see that light is available and it is within reach. There's something powerful about your praise. <laughs> you don't know, but a lot of things happen when you praise. I love, Bishop said one time that, that, that I'm at my best when I'm praying, and, and I'm going to use that and say I'm also at my best when I'm praying because when I'm praying and praising, I'm worshiping, working, and warring all at the same time. Is that right, Bishop? Praise is a weapon. In the early 2000s, we heard a lot about weapons of mass destruction. Y'all remember that? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, praise is a weapon of mass deliverance. 
Uh huh. Your praise can help deliver you from the bondage of dark, evil, and depressive thought patterns. Come on, somebody. Your, your praise can help you turn your test of depression into a testimony of deliverance. Come on, somebody. Somebody ought to realize by now that you owe God a praise and, and that you owe it to yourself to praise. For too long, we've presented praise as optional. For far too long, we've presented praise as optional. We don't go to the movie and then watching, oh, you come, watching it is optional. I'm just glad you're here. But, you know, opening your eyes and seeing the motion picture, that's optional. If you're here, you should pray. And so praise is a weapon against depression. But also, rest is a weapon against depression. Because quite possibly, some of us are depressed because we can't see and think straight. Because our minds and our bodies literally need rest. Do you know what happens biologically when it comes to you resting? Do you know what the body is doing to repair itself and to rejuvenate itself and to ready itself for the journey, whatever your journey is? A lot of us may be literally illusional, delusional when it comes to seeing our situation and it's not that deep. It's simply that we're unrested. We're not rested. And when you're not rested, you're not able to operate at your maximum. And so just as your car needs fuel, your body needs rest. May is a month to bring awareness to mental health. And on this first day, I want to let you know that sometimes the greatest work you can do is rest. Mm -hmm. I, know, I know it's contrary to a lot of things you may have learned. I know that for some of us it's contrary to our uh, temperamental makeup. For some of us it's contrary to um, our career paths. For some of us, it's contrary to our upbringing, but I'm here to tell you that it's not contrary to the word. And if the word is what you live by, if your upbringing is what you live by, have at it. If your career is what you live by, have at it. If your temperament is what you live by, have at it. But if the word is what you live by, then you gotta honor rest. Rest is holy. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you this, and I'm not going to be long. Give me a few more minutes. Write this down. There is revelation in your rest. There is revelation in your rest. I'm in a position where I have to hear from God a lot. I have to make sure that I'm able to receive a lot of revelation for what he wants me to preach or what he wants to be taught. 
um, even uh, through Bible study and, and, and just what he wants in terms of, of our church, etc. And so what I notice is that in those moments where revelation happens, those moments are rarely while I'm in the hustle and bustle of life. My greatest moments of revelation have come when I have purposed myself to rest. And so I began to make a habit of this, but I could not help but think of all the moments I may have missed in the hustle and bustle because God is never not speaking. You do know that, right? God is never not speaking. It's just that a lot of times we're not listening, and a lot of times it's just because we're moving so fast. Yeah? And so what I've noticed is that when I'm moving fast, guess what? I'm doing good things not doing anything sinful, anything bad, anything wrong. However, I still needed to rest to get the revelation. So a lot of us are satisfied because, listen, you don't know what I used to run and do. At least I ain't doing that. Yeah, that's good. But that's good, period, space. Even if you're doing good things and you're running, and busying yourself with good things, you still have to rest. What revelation? Some of us, we, we need a revelation. <laughs> some of us, we need a revelation in, in our relationships. And some of us need a revelation in our finances. And some of us need a revelation in our faith. And some of us need a revelation in terms of our career. What revelations are we missing because we're not resting? And I don't just mean putting our feet up and, and Netflix, Netflix and chill. No, no, no. I'm saying resting in God. Because some of you, you know how to rest, that kind of rest. And I took the part out that I had about the fine line between rest and laziness. Because some of us are lazy, but we love this rest word because we try to cling to that and label our laziness as rest. But I took that part out the sermon. And so, mind you that I'm talking about resting in God. Because a lot of y'all, when y'all rest, the stuff y'all watching is not conducive for an angel to come to you. Oh, I took this out the sermon. A lot of times, when we're resting, the person we're on the phone with and the content of what we're talking about is not conducive for an angel to come to you. And so I'm not saying learn how to chill. I'm saying learn how to rest. Resting in God. Finding a quiet place. You know Jesus did that. He retreated often. Sometimes even with the 12, it's like, all right, I'll be back. Sometimes three of you can go. Sometimes none of you can go. Sometimes it just needs to be me, God, and this tree. This place of rest. And if Jesus had to retreat and had to rest, 
Joseph surely has to. You guys know I'm a believer in rest. Got a revelation about rest, I don't know, maybe like four years ago now. And since then, I've realized how important it is, and then it's become even more important as life has started lifing even more. And so what I realize is that when it comes to this message of rest, we have to really see what God is saying and not what man is saying, not what denomination is saying, not what church history is saying, because I've come to realize that nowhere in the Bible does it say that a pastor preaches every Sunday. And so as I hear about heart attacks, and as I hear about even mental health concerns with suicide and things like that from a pastoral view, sometimes it makes me wonder what pressures we put on ourselves that are not biblical. And so that's why you'll see me take a month off more than once a year. That's why you'll see preachers come up. That's why I don't teach Bible study. Because I'm not going to kill myself in the name of culture. I'm talking Christian culture. I have a family. And even if I didn't have a family, I have me. And so there remaineth the rest for the people of God. And guess what? I am people. And people, that's me. And so just as I have come to that conclusion, you need to come to that conclusion. Because some of you work yourselves in the ground because of that old job. You die today, they'll replace you tomorrow. Oh, they love you while you're there. You might be the best worker. Oh, I didn't know I had both elders in the house. Elder Jay, praise him. Listen. You die today, they replace you tomorrow. You might be the best worker. You might get all the awards and all the kudos. But know that they don't care a hot one about you. It's about what you do for the company. And it should be. It should be. That's when we get to mixing things that don't need to mix. Work is work. Don't you kill yourself trying to win an award at work and miss out on the rewards that heaven has to offer you. He's a rewarder. They might be a rewarder of those who hit these corporate goals, but he's a rewarder of those who do what? How are you going to seek him if you don't rest in him? Almost done. There is a revelation in your rest. Verse 9 says this, and there he went. And do you know, do you know, do you know, do you know how much, how much it takes to build a well-studied sermon? Now, I could get up here and, and, and do whatever, as some pastors do weekly. But in order for me to give you meat, do you know what it takes? Do you know the time that it takes? Do you know the study that it takes? I'd rather give you quality over quantity. I'd I, I rather give you a rested word than a rushed word. I'd rather give you what you need so that it can be beneficial to the both of us. And now, 
I know my triggers. I know my symptoms. I know when it's time to rest. Get this, get this, get this. There is revelation in your rest. God wants to say something to you in your rest. Verse 9 says this, And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> I love it because he already knows. Verse 10 says, so he said, I've been, look, look, he's pleading this case. He's saying, listen, I've been serving. I've been serving. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel, for have forsaken your covenant, uh, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Okay? Verse 11 says this, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. <laughs> now you do know, I must warn you, you do know after you rest, you gotta go. You gotta go out. We don't, we, don't, we don't fill the car up to have it sitting. We don't rest so that we can just rest. Go out and stand on the mountains before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Here again. And he said again, his old script. You know how we get our old, old same sad song? How we, you know, we, we, you, you ever got somebody going through and they start repeating themselves and, you know, they, same sad, listen, he, he, he said it again. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I uh, alone am left and they seek to take my life. Verse 15 says, then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And then he put him to work. When you arrive, anoint. Okay? And so there is a work to be done. But the reason that the prophet Elijah was able to do this work, even if it wasn't because he wanted to, because that's the thing about rest. You need it so much that sometimes life will smack you up against the tree. Sometimes you'll have to go crawling to the tree, but God knows that you need the rest that the tree has to offer. And so here we see he had to get to work, but before he got to work, there had to be a moment of rest. It says that, that he ate. It says that, that he, he, he slept and and then he slept again, and then he ate again, and he was able to hear from God. Not in the great wind, not in the earthquake, not in the ways that he may have imagined, but in the what? Still, small voice. And a lot of times, that's exactly what happens, is that God, 
He needs you to pause. He needs you to retreat. He needs you to rest because you can't hear. You can't hear oftentimes what he's been saying all along. Life has become loud. Experiences have become loud. Thoughts have become loud to the point that we need to go and settle all of those things and get away from all of those things so that we can hear the still, small voice of God. What I love about this story as I'm closing is that we got to remember always it's bigger than us. It was, it was always bigger than Elijah. There's a whole group of people who needed um, to come back to God. And so what I love here is that I see rest, I see revelation, and then I see duplication. Because if you go down to verse 19, you'll see that Elijah now has Elisha, who's beginning to be trained so that he can take the mantle, so that he can have a double portion. And so all of this, you all, was at the hands of one man resting upon the tree. And so I want you to think of not only what you might be missing, but what someone else might be missing because you won't rest. Hmm? We talked about what you might miss out on, but let's, let's talk about what some, the people attached to you, the people whom you serve. For some of us, that's a wife. For some of us, that's children. For some of us, that's friend groups. For some of us, that's family. For some of us, that's ministries. But when you consider the people whom you serve, what is being withheld from them because you're withholding rest from you? What version of you are they getting because you're not rested? What version of you are they getting because you're irritated? What version of you are they getting? Because you're at the point, you know, when you're not rested, everything gets on your nerves. When you're not rested, it's easy to flick off and it's easy to start saying words that you don't want to say. It's easy to act like the person you don't want to act like. And then you rest and realize that now you need to apologize because you made a fool out of yourself and you've hurt people that you're supposed to be helping when that could have been avoided. If you would rest. And so it's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. And so I want you to take a moment to think about what's connected to your rest. How many of you know that <laughs> you can't get away from ministry? Even when you're resting. I'll tell you a story. Some of you uh, know that... Uh, Dr. Carmen and I, and uh, we had Dr. Tiana, we had Youth Pastor Kevin, and then we had old Sister V with us. And we went to Atlanta, and we went to Atlanta. People were asking why we went, and I told them to eat. Yeah, we went to Atlanta to eat. What was the scripture, Quan? Arise and eat. And so in addition to eating, we rested. We rest, rested, we slept, and we ate like the prophet Elijah. Now, what we did not expect was to be on a ministry trip. 
because we went to um, visit Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, park, National Park. And so when we went in, uh, there was um, a park ranger, if you will, uh, Officer Lee, and he was there telling us that the Ebenezer Church was, was shut down right now because they're doing construction and they're working on the carpet, getting new carpet. And so uh, we said, well, how about the house, the house that he grew up in? And he said, y'all, if y'all don't have tickets for that house, that's not how that worked. You know, he was like, it's a, yeah, that's, it's a long line for those tickets and, and that's a hot commodity. So we said, oh, man. And then it's like something rose up in him and he said, you know what, I might be able to look out for y'all. And so he said, listen, he said, he said, uh, give, me, give me 20 minutes and come back and let's see if this lady picks up her tickets or not. How many of y'all is it? Okay, five, I got you. So anyway, we go on about the exhibit. It probably wasn't but 10 minutes. And he was like, yo, 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 yo. So we look at, we all running, come on, come on. And so we go and he got the tickets and he said, listen, I'm letting you know that these tickets are like a $100 bill. So he started passing them out. 100, 200, 300, 400, 500. So we said, oh, thank you, thank you, uh, Officer Lee. Thank you so much. And so we ended up being in a group with three other people. And um, they probably, all three were probably in their 60s. It was a, a black man and it was a white couple. And so we're journeying with them up the street, you know, all, all happy. And, and we're getting ready to go. But before you go into the house, you had to, go to a house next door, which was like the store, and you had to sit there and you had to wait on the person who was going to do your tour. And so we ended up in there, y'all, and we waited and we waited and we waited. And the person, I think, had forgotten about us. But guess what? We forgot about the person because we start having church. So literally, we're in there and uh, the guy, the white guy, he comes back and um, some kind of way we start talking about what he does, and he's a historian, and then he says that he teaches Christian apologetics. So we said, all right now. And so then he began to go on to talk about Dr. Luke. And he began to even use his, his title. And so then I began to preach my sermon from last Sunday. And next you know, his wife is a singer. She started pulling up her song she just released. And we are in this room having church sharing our experiences next thing you know we're talking about the bible college bishop he has 10 lessons that he wants to send to us and he said do whatever you want to do i have presentation slides do whatever you want to do with it with the school and 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 so we made this connection y'all they were texting me this morning they were they were we've been talking ever since i said tiana send me the picture they asked him for the picture. We took, we took pictures. Now, you know it went well if you, you, you feel like you got to take a picture. <laughs> so we end up taking a group photo as if we all came together, you know. And so the park ranger, whoever, he comes in to take us on the tour, and he apologizes. And we say, no need. No need. You were supposed to take as long as you did because we were supposed to have this moment. Um, evangelist, she's an evangelist. Yeah, she, she, and boy, is she an evangelist. Their last name is Reed. So she uses that as a segue to say, yeah, my name is such and such Reed, R-E-A-D, like Reed. And then she passes you a little pamphlet. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, she don't play with him. She don't play with him. And so, 
And so uh, the man comes, and the man's name is Tiana's godfather's name. It was all of these interesting connections. And, and so then we go into the house, and he explains to us that who was supposed to get you, they couldn't get you because they got caught up with such and such. And so we're like, no, you were supposed to get us. And so he go he gives us this amazing um, presentation and everything. And then next thing you know, we get upstairs in the King house right outside uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s room when he was a child. And next thing you know, we're praying and laying hands on a park ranger. Because he began to, to uh, things shifted. It, be, it went from, from, from history to theology. Things shifted, and he began to share some things that he was going through. First of all, First Lady was on it because as soon as he entered the room, when he interrupted the, the church service, when you have church, what do you do? You open the door. So when he entered the room, uh, First Lady said, well, sir, before you get started, do you know Jesus? And so we found out that he knew Jesus, but later on upstairs in that room, we found out that he was struggling in his faith. And so we found out that there, there was, was some struggle there, and there were some things that we were able to believe for him on, and we began to pray with him. And then Sister Reed said, Pastor, you, you take us up in prayer. And so um, I'm, I'm praying, and, and Sister Reed is, is laying hands, and then next thing you know, he's about moved to tears. And we all in that moment realized that that was a God moment, and God had orchestrated for all of us to be in that room at that time. Guess what? We were supposed to go to MLK the day before. The Reed family was not supposed to go at all. They were supposed to be somewhere else during that time. That park ranger was supposed to be with another group, but God will orchestrate whatever needs to be orchestrated in order for a God moment to happen. And just like he did it for Officer Smith, I'm here to tell you, he'll do it for you. Jesus, part of my prayer for all of us is that exceptions are made for us and that policies change on your behalf. <laughs> so if that happens in your life, know that's because your pastor is praying over you to say, Father, when it comes to Wapsie, I thank you for the favor that Wapsie partners have that literally Ooh, Jesus, policies, procedures, they're changed for us. And exceptions are made on our behalf. And so God will put you at a place that you're not supposed to be because it's a place that you need to be. And so that's, none of that is even the point of the story. The point of the story is that we call ourselves resting and we ended up doing ministry. But it's amazing because we were refreshed to do a ministry that was refreshing. How many of you know that it's refreshing to do ministry outside of these walls? We're all called to evangelize. What are you, what are you doing? Listen, guess what else we did? And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sharing this to toot our horn. I'm sharing this because my life is an example. Okay? I've come to terms with that a long time ago. And so what else we did was we didn't wait for outreach day. We fed the homeless in Atlanta. We, 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 we fed the homeless, and there, there were a good number of them, and, and so much so that we began to, on purpose, start thinking when we can come back 
not only to hit some of the food spots that we didn't hit because that was part of it, but also to be able to be more equipped to do ministry. Can't get away from ministry, but it's so much better when you're going at it from a place of rest. When you get rest, you rejuvenate yourself for ministry. You rejuvenate yourself for life. You rejuvenate yourself for your family. You rejuvenate yourself for your career. But you also rejuvenate yourself for yourself. And if you don't get nothing else out of this word as I'm closing, you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth the rest. So take that trip. It don't, listen, it don't, whatever, whatever that means for you. It doesn't have to be an expensive trip or take that trip. Guess what? Take, take off. Use that leave. Somebody needed to hear that. Use that leave. Use that leave. Why not? Why not? You don't live life to go to work. Don't you let the enemy tell you that you were born to work. For the kingdom, yes. Don't you know that we got to stop confusing the resource with the source? And that's why some of us think that our money is ours because we don't have a realization even of what our jobs are. When you realize that your job is something that you have just so that you can maneuver in this life that you're called to do ministry in. The people who have that revelation, we can't wait to tie. Because we realize that not, uh, I'm only working so I can work for God. So who, who am I? Huh? That don't even make sense. And so once, once, you, once you get your mind right, it becomes easier to see things in life for what they are. And what I'm telling you is that your job is just your job. But your calling, that's something totally different. Take the trip. Take the leave. Stop acting like the job won't go on without you. And don't you kill yourself for no organization, for no job, and guess what else? For no church. Rest is holy. Rest is necessary. Rest is needed. And rest is for everybody. Amen. Can we give God praise? That's all I have today. Hallelujah. Has anybody been blessed by the word of rest? Did anybody need that today? Jesus rested, and so shall we. Amen. I, your homework today, I want you to go home and plan your next rest. Amen? Plan your next rest. Pastor, I'm going to be out on such and such. Okay. Amen? Plan your next rest. Because you got to be rested in order to do ministry and life like it should be done.